0: It's great to be with you all this morning. Um, As Rich said, we're continuing the series on the fruit of the Spirit, Lesson 3, and we're actually getting into what the fruit of the Spirit is. So if you're not already there, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5. It's going to be in verse 22 that we're focusing. Um, So our fruit for today is, is love. Before we dive in, let's do a quick review, though. Who remembers how Clay defined what the fruit of the Spirit is the first week? Anybody remember? Exactly. Someone takes notes. Okay. So, um, all right. Who remembers why Paul talks about, about the fruit of the Spirit in this passage? Why is this passage here? There are two things. It's a corrective against two things. first one? Licentiousness. The word that no one ever says. Um, so, um, But I love that. It guards against both extremes. Um, the false teachers in Galatia were probably, probably teaching that external regulations were needed to keep people from just plunging headlong into sin and indulgence. But Paul says that, no, the work of the Spirit in people's lives is a much better safeguard than any external restrictions that you could ever have. Um, Because external restrictions and regulations don't change your heart. And your your sinful heart will find ways to do what it wants to do. Paul even goes so far as to say in verse 16 of chapter 5, that if we walk by the Spirit, he says, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He leaves no room for doubt either. The, the way the grammar is in Greek, it's it's very, very strong. Like saying, if you're walking by the Spirit, there's no possibility at all that you will gratify the desires of the flesh at the same time. The two just don't go together. And the implication there is that you'd better get after it in, in pursuing the, the fruit of the Spirit if you hope to be able to battle the desires of your flesh. So that brings us to where we're to where Paul spells out what the fruit of the Spirit is. Um, and the first fruit in the list is love, as Rich already said. Um, but if we're going to seek to cultivate love in our lives, we need to know more about it. We need to understand what it is and, and what we can do to, to start cultivating it and pursuing it. Um, so, in this passage, we're going to address five questions that we need to ask and answer if the Spirit is going to produce love in our lives abundantly. So five questions about love if, you're, if you want to keep it simple, if you're taking notes. First, I'll run through the five and then we'll do them one by one. But um, So the first question is, what is love? Then we need to know why love is important. Then we need to know why do we so often fail at it. Then we need to know What truths will motivate us to pursue love? And lastly, how can we uh, practically cultivate love? So first of all, we'll start with with number one, what is love? So of course we can't pursue something if we don't know what it is and how it works. So we need to try to understand what Paul means by the word love in this passage. Some people make a big deal over the, the Greek word that he uses, um, You've probably heard people talk about agape and that it's a, an unconditional love, that uh, it's either the love that God has for us or that we have for other believers. And there's some truth in that, but what really helps us more is seeing how Paul uses the word, because uh, the word can mean different, different things, more than one thing, kind of like our English word love can mean a lot of things. If someone says, I love you, that can mean a lot of different things. And Greek is similar, although possibly not quite as abused as our English word, love. But, um, so one thing that's important in this passage for us to notice is that Paul's not just talking about any love. He's talking about specifically the love that believers have for each other. To love God and love unbelievers... Paul's most concerned in this passage about the one and other kind of love, because that's what was getting most neglected in the church of Galatia. So now we'll take a quick look at some of the other passages in the New Testament where Paul uses the same word in the same sense to kind of get a fuller picture of what he's referring to. And I'm going to be jumping around a lot, so if you're trying to take notes, you may not be able to flip to every passage we're going to, but you can write down the references and come back to it later. Um, I actually had a lot more verses that I wanted to include, but I don't have three hours this morning, so I needed to chop it down a little bit. So we'll start uh, with 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter that you often hear read in weddings. Um, And because we hear it used in that that way so many times and applied to, to weddings and marital kind of love, you may not automatically think of that as where we need to go to understand love in the church. But that's actually exactly what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. If Galatians is a corrective against trying to keep the law without love, 1 Corinthians 13 is a corrective against trying to utilize your spiritual gifts in the church without love. So in verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians 13, he describes love. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I'm sure we could do a whole series just on that passage and what it tells us about love. And we don't have the time for that this morning. Um, but I wanted to recommend it to you as a a place to go back to later as you're trying to understand what love is and how you can apply it in your life. Um, And So you can be thinking about it and uh, go back there later, but unfortunately we just don't have the time to unpack everything in it this morning. So we'll keep on moving for now. Um, In 2 Corinthians 12.15, Paul tells the Corinthians that because of Paul's love for them, he says, "I would, I would most gladly be, most gladly spend and be spent for your souls." So another thing that we know about love from this passage is that love looks like gladly extending ourselves for the spiritual good of others. Another thing that Paul says elsewhere is that love is, some, love is not something that you just fall into. It's not something that happens to you. It's not a circumstance. It's something that you choose and you work at. He calls it putting on love in Colossians 3.14. So love isn't going to happen by accident. It's something that we have to pursue. Yes, God is the one who produces it in our lives, but it requires effort on our part. The encouraging thing, though, about that is that we don't have to wait to feel love before we can start to exercise love. And that's great news because we're all sinners and so is everyone else around us. And so we're just not always going to feel warm, fuzzy feelings about each other. Um, but Paul says that that doesn't have to keep us from loving each other. He even says in uh, Ephesians 4.2, he says basically put up with each other. Not that there's no affection involved that we should have for each other, but... Um, Paul is just, he's realistic. He knows that there will be times when we have to choose to love people, even when it contradicts the way we feel at the moment. So, what's the goal of loving people? Why do we, how does that look like? How's that fleshed out? What are we trying to accomplish when we love someone? Is it to make them like you? Well, we know it's not that. Is it to make them feel good? To make their lives easier? maybe to provide relief from their pain. You'll hear that in counseling a lot. Um, Well, all of these things, none of these things are bad. In fact, some of these things could be legitimate results of loving people. Um, But they're not the purpose, they're not the main purpose of loving people. They're not the ultimate goal for which we should be trying to love people. Ultimately, our goal should be to build them up to greater Christ-likeness. That means that you might have sometimes to say things and do things that don't make people feel good at the time or make their lives easier at the time. Because you know it's what they need most and what's best for them spiritually. Paul says in uh, Ephesians 4.15, he says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together, by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That body there is the church, so we're, we're building each other up by loving each other. And lastly, another thing about love is that love is consistent and enduring. We don't just love people for a little while and then slack off. No, love is a full-time job. It's a it's a project that never gets completed. We should be encouraged that this is the way God loves us. We should be glad that God doesn't just love us for a little while and then turn his back on us whenever we mess up or annoy Him. Because we sure do give Him plenty of opportunities. But one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture that illustrates this really well is Romans 8, verses 35, 38, and 39. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Then in verse 37. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation would be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So that's a great truth to meditate on when we're trying to love other people. That's the kind of love that we should be imitating. So with all this in our minds, I'm going to try to give you my attempt at a more concise definition of the kind of love that Paul's talking about. This kind of love is a genuine supernatural and sacrificial devotion to and care for other people which is primarily focused on that person's well-being. I know that's a mouthful. I'll give it to you a couple times. A genuine supernatural and sacrificial devotion to and care for other people which is primarily focused on that person's spiritual well-being. So a One more time, a genuine supernatural and sacrificial devotion to and care for other people, which is primarily focused on that person's spiritual well-being. So now that we understand what love is, the second question we need to answer for the Spirit to produce love in our lives is, why is love so important? So we know it's something the Spirit produces, we know that we need to pursue it, we know what it is, but why is it such a big deal? We know we already know it's not just a bunch of gooey, sloppy feelings, and I'm glad of that because it's not my strong suit. But um, but is it okay just to say that it's not really that big a deal? You know, I'm not really that type of guy. Just you kind of don't bother me. I won't bother you. We'll just kind of mind our own business. Paul would say that that's something. Love is something you can't just pass off. You can't just write it off and see it as not a very big deal. He actually addresses this sort of issue earlier in in our same chapter in Galatians, verses 13 and 14. The Galatians were advocating a strict law-keeping and thinking that that made them really spiritual. But they were neglecting what Paul considered to be much more important, and that is to love each other. He says, "'For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh.'" But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So in verse 13, he describes love as serving one another. He says that we're now free from the Old Testament law. But that means we're not just free to do whatever we want. We're free to love each other and serve each other. And in verse 14 that I just read, he says something that must have shocked the Galatians. They were concerned about keeping external, external rules. But Paul says to them, if you would just love each other, you would be fulfilling the intent of the Old Testament law. That must have felt like a gut punch to the Galatians because they were putting out so much effort to fulfill these external rules, but they were forgetting the most important thing. So if you obey externals but you don't love people, you've missed the whole point, and that was the problem with the Galatians. First Corinthians thirteen thirteen says that love is the greatest virtue. Earlier in the chapter, uh, in verses one through three, Paul says that you have to you have to love each other for your spiritual gifts and service in the church to amount to anything. And another thing Paul says later is that you really better love people if you're aspiring to any sort of leadership in the church you can write down 1 Timothy 1.5 for an example of teachers in the church, people who were trying to lead, um, who were doing it without love. And Paul talks about what a problem that was in the church. The other reason that this kind of love is so crucial is that there are other kinds of love that are counterfeits. And they can distract us from true Christian love. In 2 Timothy 3.2, Paul warns of the dangers of self-love and of the love of money. And in chapter 4, verse 10, he talks about Demas, who loved the world, Paul says, so much that he abandoned Paul. So loving others is pretty important. If we do, God will be pleased because we're doing what he told us to do. But not only that, God will reward us eternally. Matthew 1042 says whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple truly I say to you he will by no means lose his reward. That means that you can take it to the bank. No choice to sacrificially love your brothers and sisters in Christ here in the church will go unnoticed or unrewarded by our Heavenly Father. Another thing that makes love so important is love will mark you out as a follower of Christ. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Think about it. People might suspect that you're a Christian if you don't curse or do drugs or commit sexual immorality, but Jesus says that the way people will, that the way you will truly stand out in front of people as a believer is by loving each other. That's because even unbelievers can sometimes act outwardly moral just by sheer willpower. They can do a lot of good things. They can seem like pretty cleaned up, nice people. Um, but they can't love the way the Bible commands us to because they don't have the Spirit of God in their lives. So the, the sort of love that Paul is calling us to is something supernatural that we can't do on our own. And lastly, if we truly love each other, the church will be stronger and will be more spiritually healthy. But the reverse of all these things is also true. If we consistently fail to love each other, we will atrophy spiritually, personally, and corporately. And then remember 1 Corinthians 13, he says, without love, our efforts and giftedness for for God and the church and our service will be worthless. As a result, the, spirit, the church will be spiritually weak and unhealthy and will be a hindrance to unbelievers because we're a walking contradiction, because we're not really believing what we say we believe. It's a pretty big deal. And I confess I'm as convicted as anyone uh, in this area that um, I'm just... I'm not where I need to be. I've had to repent this week of areas that I'm failing in and ask God to produce this fruit with, within me. Um, but I've been encouraged also on the other, on the other side that, that any fruit that is produced in my life is produced because God's at work. So the third thing, the third question that we need to answer about love we know what it is, why it's important. Um, third question is, why do we fail at it so often? So if you struggle in this area like I do, and we all do, <clears throat> we need to ask ourselves what it is that keeps us from obedience so that we can know how to target this sin in the areas that, it's, that are the most hard for us in our lives, where, where we tend to fail the most often. Of course, we all have a natural tendency to love ourselves and not other people. Um, it's, we don't naturally, naturally um, love other people. The problem is not that we don't love at all. It's the problem that we love the wrong person. We love ourselves. Um, and this gets really bad when, when our love for ourselves collides with the need to love other people. Isn't that hard to seek the good of someone else if it also benefits us in some way? But the moment that the good of someone else gets in the way of what we think is good for us, that's when we better watch out, because that sin inside us is going to raise its ugly head. That, of course, is something that we all face, and we need to be aware of it. But I think where we really hit pay dirt is when we begin to identify the specific areas that are uniquely difficult and tempting for us, for you, for me, personally. It's all well and good to know that love is hard in a general sense, but if we stop there, we'll probably never really do that much about it. Instead, we need to identify the specific areas in our lives. Those nooks and crannies where sin can hide out and go unnoticed, and we never really declare war on it. To give you an idea of what this might look like, I'll give you an example from my own life. I find that this often pops up in the area of how I prioritize my time. It's not that I'm often wasting a lot of hours every day playing video games or watching movies. For the most part, I, I stay pretty busy doing good things, but the problem that I more commonly have is I tend to be too concerned about pleasing people with the way I spend my time. I notice that um, when I'm having a hard time getting everything done that people think I ought to do, that's when it normally creates a problem. When this happens, I can start to feel stressed, and then I I can start to think I'm too busy to be proactive in loving people, Or I can even start to be impatient with people around me and come across as chilly. Or I might even start to harbor a kind of a subtle resentment toward anyone who might add something to my to-do list or in my perception they added something to my to-do list. So this is just one area in my life. You'll need to figure out what it is in your lives. It's probably going to be at least somewhat different. But we need to look out for them so that we can understand what they are and where they pop up in our lives. It's hard, to fight an enemy. it's hard to fight an enemy we can't see. So we need to try to spot them wherever they're lurking around in our lives. Finally, another potential reason for failing to love others is that there could be a lack of spiritual integrity. Remember those unfaithful teachers I talked about in 1 Timothy 1, 5 and 6? I'll go ahead and read what Paul says about them. He says, the aim of our charge is love, that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, talking about those teachers, have wandered away into vain discussion. So these teachers are teaching all kinds of stuff that's not important, it's not helping the flock. And he says they got that way by failing to love other people. And they got that way by failing to maintain a pure heart, and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So if our aim is love, we've got to know where love comes from. It comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. If we're allowing something in our lives that prevents us from having a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith, we won't be able to love other people the way we should. So if you're trying to love people, and you've got an area in your life where you're refusing to repent of sin and you know about it, you need to deal with that right away. It's not something to wait around on. It's not something that's only affecting you. It's keeping you from loving other people, and it's harming the church. So just in case you're feeling defeated at this point, and you're thinking, man, you're pointing out all these problems, and I'm seeing every one of them in my life, and I'm really discouraged, and you're not giving me any solutions, don't worry, I'm going there next. My point isn't to beat you in the ground and make you want to give up. My point is just to help us all understand where the problem might be so that we can be better prepared for the solution and know what solution we need. So the fourth question that we're trying to answer is what truths will motivate us to pursue love? What truths will motivate us? So, God's the one who produces love in us, but we're not passive in in trying to cultivate it. So, to cultivate love, there are some things we need to believe and some things that we need to do. And this this question, we're addressing the things that we need to believe. So, we're not just trying harder. We're not just feeling guilty about it. Uh, We need to believe certain things if we're going to be able to cultivate love. So the first thing that we need to believe, and this is not an exhaustive list, but these are some things that I think will be helpful. Um, first thing that we need to believe is that Christian love comes by the Spirit's work in our hearts. Romans 5.5 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This means that unbelievers are incapable of this kind of love. But the good news is that for us who are believers, even if this love seems impossible, we can rest assured that it's possible because God's Spirit is actively at work in us. The second thing we need to believe is that God already loves us because Christ has done all that's needed for God to love us. He came and took the penalty for our sins, and God credited Jesus' righteousness to our account. So now we're not trying to love other people to make God love us, but because we're fully assured that He already does. Knowing this fuels our desire to love and keeps us from giving up when we fail. The third thing we need to believe is that love's not an option for the believer. 1 John 2 9 through 11 says, Whoever says He is in the light, and hates his brother is still in darkness whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes so we have to be convinced that love is not optional for the believer it's not something that's just recommended We also need to believe that we are not our own, but we're bought with a price. Sometimes we forget this and we start to think, it's my time, it's my money, it's my leisure, it's my time off, it's me time. But we need to remember that God owns it all. We're accountable for how we steward all these things and how we love people with them. We're not here to please ourselves, but God. And love isn't our idea, it's God's. He requires it. He doesn't just recommend it as something nice to do if we get around to it. I've already touched on this one, but another thing that we need to believe is that God will give us the ability to obey in this area if we're a believer. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. To work for his good pleasure includes the work of loving other people. So there's hope because God is the one making us able to love other people. So now that we know what love is, and we need to cultivate it, what we need to believe to cultivate it, now we need to know one thing more. We need to ask the question, how can we practically... Cultivate love in our lives. What do we need to do about it? It's not enough just to believe the right things. We need to start putting it into action. So here are a few things to get you started. Again, this is not exhaustive, but it's the list that I put together. Um, So the first thing, learn to trust God completely for your own needs. Because if we're worried, if we're anxious all the time that God won't take care of us, then we won't have any energy left over to, to care for other people. If you're someone who often worries about your own needs and your own life, and you seem to have little emotional energy for caring about other people, this would be a really good place for you to start. A passage that is super helpful on this is the end of Matthew 6. And Rich actually taught uh, a sermon about this, I don't know, a year or so ago. Um, and that would be a really helpful resource for you as well. I know it was helpful for me. Another thing that we need to do is remind ourselves of what we were and who we were before conversion, both according to our own experience and according to what the Bible says about us. This should produce humility in us, and humility is one of the major necessities for loving other people we naturally think way, way, way too highly of ourselves. And so our world tends to revolve around me and what I want. But if we saw ourselves rightly, we'd be able to take our eyes off of ourselves and our desires and to focus instead on others. Next, as I said earlier, we need to find the major trouble spots in our lives and we need to start dealing with those. We need to start repenting and doing battle. We need to decide how we're going to do that this week in the different spheres God's placed us in, in our relationships in the church, at work, at home, school, if you're doing summer classes. We, need, we can use every interaction this week as, as a learning opportunity, not to beat ourselves up when we don't love people perfectly but as an experience to help us learn how we can improve and do better next time. We need to be persistent. We need to remember that love isn't something you just fall into, like I said. It's something that, by God's power, you learn how to do over time. Like Clay said, fruit of the Spirit is something that's done over time. Something that the Spirit produces in us over time. It's character that's built. So, just like any other skill, you're going to mess up sometimes, but we learn by continuing to practice love, by not giving up when we fail. And if this is an area that, specifically, that is especially hard for you, loving other people, I would recommend you find someone in the church who does this really well and ask them to disciple you in this area. Love is something that we can learn and we can imitate in other people. They can model it for us and help us learn how to do it better in our own lives. And finally, we should pray a whole lot that God will help you, help us. If love seems impossible, it is in one sense. But we have free access to the one who makes it possible for us. So ask, don't give up. He's here to help you. God will accomplish what's impossible for you because he's promised that he would. So, the five questions. What is love? Why is it important? Why do we so often fail at it? What truths will motivate us? And how we can practically cultivate it? As I start to wrap things up, I would just like to offer some encouragement. One thing that encourages me is that any success in our lives comes from God. He produces it through His Spirit working in us. That should fuel our assurance of salvation, and it should encourage us that His promises are true, and He's doing what He said He would do. It's true for you as well as it is for me. You may be tempted to only notice how far you fall short, to be really discouraged by all your shortcomings. But that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that the God of the universe is on your side and He's working in you to accomplish this. He's already taken away the penalty for our sin, and we're a new creation now. God's in the process of making us more and more conformed to Christ's character all the time. That's why we call it the fruit of the Spirit, because He's producing it in our lives. We don't need to live our lives as though we're defeated and imprisoned by sin and lack of love for people. We know that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And that's how we can go out and love other people this week in all the relationships and situations that God's put us in. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us do that. Lord, I thank you so much for just this opportunity to come together, fellowship with each other, hear from your word, be reminded of the truth that is there and that is so encouraging to our hearts. Thank you that we have your spirit. We don't need to worry about how we might fail to love or just the lack of maturity in our lives. We know that you are faithful and you will continue to be faithful to us. Thank you that this fruit is being produced in our lives now. Thank you for this opportunity this morning to, to have one means of this fruit being born, the hearing of your word I pray that we would go out this week, that we would review what we've learned, that we would think through how we can implement it in our lives and come up with a battle plan, and that, we would, that you would supernaturally grow this love in our hearts for other people. I pray that you would use it to, to help us to become more like you, more like Christ. That you would use it to build up the body here at Timberlake. That our church would be an, an example to unbelievers in the community. And that we would be a good testimony and not a contradiction. Because we love each other and we prove by our love to be your disciples. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.